Thank you for listening to the Convergence Podcast. We pray that God speaks to you during this message and that He moves in your life. Today, what I want to what I want to share with you is um, something that the Lord has been really working in me, and I I, I just want to I just want to be transparent. Um, you know how I minister is in a lot of ways. It's not preparing a good sermon. It's it's really something that the Lord is cult, would be cultivating in me, and as a spiritual leader, as a pastor, working through the struggles, um, I think alongside of many of you, and um, and though so, just kind of bring into the table some of the things that the Lord has been been prompting me about, especially in light of of you know, the paradigm that we're in, in the context of how we do church and how we do church life and how do we, how we function in the kingdom. And, you know, we go after the supernatural. We go after signs and wonders. The presence of God is our highest priority. It's, it's what, we, what we chase after, pursue, um, embrace, live by. Um, and so that's, that's always super key for us. And at the same time, um, we are the ecclesia, and that's a, that's, that's a paradigm, if I can use that word, it's actually not a paradigm, it's what Jesus said in Matthew 16, that we are ecclesia, not, not just church. And, you know, I, I think, you know, probably 2% of the church world has, you know, this ecclesia paradigm, and they're running with it. And I feel like right now what we're doing is we're, we're learning how to be an ecclesia, in fact, what I think is happening around the world is that people have been pushed into being, <laughs> pushed is probably not a great word, but because of what's all happening, people are actually uh, it becoming and are in this place of figuring out how do we function minus the buildings. And, um, and I want to talk to you about that in a little bit. This is going to be a two-parter. Um, I don't know if parter is an actual word, but a two-part, I don't know if it's, anyway, so a two-part, it is now, so a two-part series, uh, not even a series, just some thoughts, um, and I want to I wanna dive into 1 Samuel 17, and um, I'll be reading to you out of the NIV, and it's really the, a very familiar portion of scripture, um, and it's the story of, of David and Goliath. And uh, I mean, that, that story, I mean, so many messages have been preached on it, and I've heard so many, I mean, I've been reading it for, for years and years, but I think there's something here that really applies to um, what God's doing and the ecclesia of God. I, I remember three years ago, I think it was in 2016, is it, is it four years? Probably four years ago. Um, I, I preached a message just on David and Goliath and the Ecclesia. It was kind of like the Lord gave it to me during worship. I just went up and I just went for it. And I hope it, I hope it, I hope it made sense. But, um, but I, I, I kind of want to revisit that just a little bit today and, and then hopefully kind of land the plane uh, with giving you some, some thoughts and a little bit of my heart um, moving forward, maybe more than just a little bit. But... You know, I kind of speak from here these days and, and not so much from the mind. But um, so 1 Samuel 17, and I just want to take it from the very top. Um, it says, uh, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. As you know, Judah means praise. They pitched camp in this place where I'm not even going to try name between Socal and Azekah. Verse 2, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines <clears throat> occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. And I feel like we've been saying, I mean, I'm going to make some comments as we go. This is kind of, kind of how it's going to be today and next week. But I feel like we've been saying for the last eight weeks probably that, that we're going through the valley. Um, and we just kind of alluded to Psalm 23, that we're not here to remain in the valley, that we're actually going through the valley. And I just want to, 
I just want to push out um, just some, some declarations of hope that, that God's got this thing, that he's, he's completely sovereign. Jesus is the desire of the nations and that we really, truly put our hope and our full trust in the Lord. And our, our hope is in God. And Romans 15 is just a, a huge verse for us. And Romans 5, uh, Romans 5 is a huge chapter, both chapters for us. And that I just want you to be filled with hope. I want you in the middle of all the things that are going on. Um, and we can get, wow, we have to be careful that we don't slant so, uh, whether it's the economy or whether it's the political side of things or whether it's the church side of things, that, that we, might, we, we need to pay attention to those things. But ultimately, we have to trust the Lord. And, and it says in... Um, Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on, on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So it's really important, even in that verse, I shared this on Wednesday when we had our, my short video with you guys, is that you know when I, when I put my trust fully in God, I have to give up my right to understand. And there's a, there's a lot of things that you might not understand, I don't understand, and I have to give up the right to understand. Does it mean I pursue? Does it mean I, does it mean I check things out? Does it mean, you know, it just means that ultimately my trust, my anchor has to be in God. I have to trust the Lord with all of my heart. You know, the, the Hebrew word for all is probably all, you know. It's, it's with everything. And in the middle of all the things that, that are happening around us and globally, and a lot of things we just don't understand, that doesn't persuade me from trusting in God. So my understanding doesn't lead my faith. My faith, actually it says, by faith we understand. So, so faith is the anchor of our understanding. Trusting God in the middle of the stuff that's happening, that is the anchor it, for my, my walk with the Lord. And then he'll make our paths straight, right? So as we trust him, he'll keep us in perfect peace. So I just want you guys to be encouraged that God's got it all in control, right? It doesn't mean we don't do our part. It doesn't mean that we don't get on God's assignments and, you know, he tells us to do. It doesn't mean we don't grab the keys, right, and advance the kingdom of God. It just means that the Lord has it in control and it's really about advancing his kingdom. So I just want you to be filled with hope. Say, so just say, I am full of hope. Just put your hands in your heart. Say, I'm full of hope. I am totally trusting in the Lord. And some of you need to say that. I'm totally trusting in the Lord. And so, so we see here in verse 3, it says, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. And so for some of us, we feel like we feel like we're in this valley. And we have the kingdom of God, and we have, you know, Goliath, and we have the kingdom of darkness. And, you know, it says in Scripture that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we war against principalities and powers. We have to make sure that we keep that perspective moving forward. Because sometimes what we can do is we can begin to point the finger, and we can begin to make, you know, we can begin cursing people and all kinds of crazy things, and we have this mindset that we actually are fighting against flesh and blood. But the, but the narrative behind the flesh and blood is what we have to, as God's people, and especially as Christ's ecclesia, we have to go beyond that and recognize that we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers. And I would say probably 90, 95%, 98% of what you're going to see and what you're going to what you're going to hear is this battle between flesh and blood. But we have to go higher. We have to go higher. And I, am, I implore you guys to go higher. And this is, this is something that's just out of my heart, right? So I implore you guys to go higher. I recognize we're all in this. You know, we have so many things that are happening in our nation. Right now, we have to be people who are tight with God. You know, we're, we're the branch and the vine, we are, we are connected, John 15, and we're hearing from heaven and we're praying. The greatest way that we could actually influence nation, a nation, a state, you know, the nations, 
is through intercession. And I don't, I don't know how to emphasize that more. And I, I can get caught up too in a lot of the stuff that's happening and try and put pieces together. But if, if I'm doing that more than I'm praying and interceding and asking for God's heart for the people that are maybe making policies or whatever, then, then, I'm, then what I'm doing is I'm almost aligning myself with warring with flesh and blood and not warring against principalities and powers. And the kingdom of God is not about, you know, the kingdom of God is not so much, it's, it's about uh, advancing in the spirit. And so, so like we, we, we have our responsibilities as citizens, but we also, but we have to go higher that we're citizens in heaven and we, are, we, we move with a heavenly agenda. And so I would just encourage you guys that while we're in this, this say, valley, while maybe the world's in this valley, maybe, you know, maybe other nations are in this, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to look at the global part of it, but um, while we're in this valley, we have to be aware of what God's saying in the spirit. And what God is saying in the spirit mainly to you and, and to me, but, and then we have a corporate, what is God saying, right? And so I just would encourage you guys, I really believe we're going through this valley. We're going through it, you know, we're going through it. Yes, we are, but we're, we're actually going through this valley. Like there's gonna be, a, there's gonna be an end to that. And, um, and I just wanna, I do wanna challenge you with a few questions though, as we kind of, you know, bring this thing to a close, which I'm not closing, by the way, but I want to keep reading because I'm only on verse 3. All right, so, so let's look at verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. You're not going to know what that is, but unless you have a footnote. There's argument around, around what that number is, but mainly most commentators will say about nine feet, nine inches. I, I, that's, that's tall. Um, that's a giant for you. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels or 125 pounds. Um, six on his legs, and he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So here's this picture of the champion of the Philistines. Now, in, in those days, sometimes wars were fought by one champion coming out of the army and fighting another champion. So Israel would have a champion. We don't know who that champion is right now. Ultimately, we know it's David. But at this point, there's no one there. And so here comes a guy who's almost 10 feet tall. You know, he has, a, he has a armor that weighs 125 pounds. The guy, is, uh, the guy is completely covered and protected with his armor. And what Israel sees is an enemy that is intimidating that is powerful, that is fortified, and in some ways, completely untouchable. And they're saying to themselves, we don't have anyone who can fight this guy and win. And if we're not careful, like the people of Israel, Goliath becomes our focus. Now, I want you to understand, and I, you know, you guys know through scripture that these are, the, these, are, these are God's people. These are the people that God delivered out of Egypt. They knew that. These are the people who went through the Red Sea. They knew that. These are the people who were part of when the judges rose up. I mean, the, these are the people who understand that God brings down manna. God bring, like These are the people who went into the promised land. These are the people who saw Gideon, the 300, defeat the 10,000. But that wasn't enough because their eyes were fixed on Goliath and not on God's narrative. And that becomes a real problem. 
Because sometimes what we do is we think we're, we're, we're visually looking out over the landscape and we're saying, we might be saying, this thing, is, this thing is huge, this thing is massive, and we lose heart. But I'm, I'm simply declaring to you this morning that we can't fix our eyes on Goliath because if we fix our eyes on Goliath, our, we will lose heart and we will lose faith and we will become dismayed and we'll become terrified. And this is what's happening with God's people. This is what's happening with Israel. The armies of God who have seen the provision and the power of God manifested. And here comes a guy who's nine feet tall, nine, nine, nine inches. He's, you know, he's arrayed, he's intimidating, and he stands before the armies of God and then he begins to defy them. Verse 8, Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Verse 10, then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Man, that's massive. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So Goliath steps to the battle line and he challenges God's army. These, again, these were champions of war. Goliath here is defying Israel. He's defying the army of God. And the enemy here makes the first move. We live in a day right now where the gates of Hades are moving against us, whether it's the virus or whatever. That's where, we're, that's where we're positioned. Goliath's image, Goliath's words become Israel's narrative. What's interesting here is that we notice that in verse 11 that Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Saul is the leadership of Israel. Saul is the king of Israel. And there comes a point where the leaders have to rise up and get their eyes off the narrative that Goliath presents and begin to think about the testimony of the Lord, begin to think about what God has said and what God has done so that they actually have the boldness and the courage to step up and face Goliath. You got to understand, this is an army. So you have a king, you have commanders, you have rank in the army. And so because of this, they, they shrinked back and they were, the, the NIV says they were dismayed and they were ter terrified. Remember, I've said this on several of occasions recently, but our focus does determine our reality. Where we put our focus determines how we will be impacted by where we set our eyes. And so it's important for you, it's important for me to keep our eyes focused on, that's why we keep saying it, focused on the Lord. Because if you focus on the Lord, then hope will fill your heart. Faith will fill your heart. Even though Goliath is standing in front of you, even though he looks intimidating, even though he looks you know, unpenetratable, whatever that word is, um, even though he looks all-powerful, faith and trust in God will actually give you the boldness and the courage, seeing the miracles of God give you the boldness and the courage to actually take up the challenge that Goliath presents. So the Israelites then viewed Goliath bigger and greater than themselves 
and greater than God. And right now we see a lot of that happening today. Verse 12. Now David, just circle that right there. Now David. Because this is where it all changes. Now David, which his word means beloved, his name means beloved, was the son of an Ethrodite, something like that. And that word means fruitful. Named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. Verse 14, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So in just a little bit of context, in order to be in an ar- the army, you had to be at least 20 years old. So we see here that David... Because he's not in the army, is probably under the age of 20. Recognize that the three oldest brothers are over 20 years old and, and in the army. And here's, and, he, and kind of catch this David is the youngest of the eight. So let's just say that there's three older brothers that are 20 years old and older. Where does that put David? So as you study this, it looks like David's probably about 16 or 17 years old. I mean, that is like conservatively giving you an idea of how old this kid, he's a kid. I mean, the older you get, the younger, I mean, 16 years old, right? He's, he's 16 years old, and this is the reason why he, he is being, not used, but he's being directed by his father to go ahead and to go back and forth with Saul. And I'll talk about that in a moment. So this means that, that David was probably 16 or 17. And at this point, I want to just kind of begin to shift a little bit of the narrative that I'm sharing with you. I'm saying narrative a lot because that seems to be the word these days. That David is a type of revival and ecclesia. And so, verse 16 It says, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. So 40 is an interesting number. 40 is the number for trials, for testing, and for hardship. And so for 40 days, Goliath comes up fully arrayed in all his armor And he comes up, not just in the morning, but both morning and night. So he gets up there twice a day and endlessly challenges and defies God's people, the armies of the Lord. So that's like 80 times in 40 days, here he comes. And he stands, he draws the line, the battle line's formed, and he comes fully arrayed and he challenges the armies of the Lord. And he's challenging these, the Israelites who, like I said, who have a history in God, who understand the miracles of God. And verse 17, now Jesse said to, to his son David, take an ephah, that's about 36 pounds of roasted grain, and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these cheeses to the commander of their unit. And the commander of a unit was, he probably commanded over a thousand soldiers, pretty much the number. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, about a 15-mile journey fighting against the Philistines. So David is commanded to take food and to take, you know, cheese and, you know, grain and, and deliver it to the armies. And back then, families supplied the rations for the armies. So this was not something unusual. 
in order to feed those, the armies, all the families would provide the food and they would bring it to them. So David's not the only one who's bringing food. Other people are bringing food because they were supplying, they were supposed to supply the, the rations for the armies. Another thing that's important here is that David is faithful to his father. He is faithful in ministry. He's faithful in his ministry assignments. Jesse is faithful to, to leadership. Then he passes that faithfulness on to David. David hears his father and obeys his father. And that's super key because if we're going to have, if we're going to move as Christ's ecclesia into eventually battling Goliath, we have to be able to have been proven in the small things. And that we're actually abiding and staying connected to our Father so that we're not reacting to the enemy. We're actually in obedience to our Father. And I think this is super, I know this is a small verse, but I think it's super important for us to understand that. That before we get to the battlefield, we have to be in this place where we're serving our Father and we're actually being faithful in ministry. Verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out in battle positions, shouting out a war cry. So David gets all the materials that his father tells him. He begins this 15-mile journey um, to the the battle site where the lines are being drawn, and, um, and Israel's taking positions, and they begin to lift up this war cry. And can you imagine, you know, here they are, you know, for 40, 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath challenges them, and here comes, you know, Israel, and they, I just get this funny picture in my head that they, they're standing at this line lifting, out, lifting up a war cry, but no one's moving. So here they are, yeah, I know, whatever they say, you know, and, and Goliath is standing there and there, there's Israel. I don't even know how long they do it. Do they do it for five minutes? Do they do it for 10 minutes? Do they do it for one minute? Do they do it? We don't know. But here they are, and their hearts are filled with fear. Their hearts are filled with terror. They are completely dismayed but they're still lifting up the war cry and they know no one's gonna go and they're gonna position themselves to go after Goliath. And in some ways we have to, (laughs) including myself, we have to be careful that we're just not lifting up. I understand the shout. I think that's, that's important that we do and that we you know, we, we, we declare war, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with make it, creating a shout, but that has to go somewhere. At some point, we're going to have to engage. And so here they are. Their hearts are not full of faith. Their hearts are full of fear. They're lifting up this shout, and they're, they're yelling, and they're shouting. And I just want to encourage you guys, shouting alone will not bring us into revival. Nor will it be enough to advance the kingdom. They were doing this at least 80 times over the last 40 days, night and day, and Goliath still stood. Verse 21. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. And get this. He ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. That was his assignment. His dad said, go ahead, drop the food off, and I want you to go to your brothers. I want to know how they're doing. Any dad would want to know how their sons are doing in war. So David goes ahead. He does what his dad tells him to do. Verse 23, and as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And here's the key. And David heard it. I'll talk about that in a moment. Whenever the Israelites saw the man 
they all fled from him in great fear. Right now, the ecclesia has been, how do I say this? Right now, over the, how do I say it? I'll say this prophetically. I'll say that. I, I feel right now we've been in a season of lifting up a war cry. I think the church has been lifting up a war cry. I feel like right now, whether it's, and I think it's going to be mainly in the spirit, but we'll see what happens, that David, who actually represents, in my humble opinion, the ecclesia of God, has now heard the voice of Goliath. And the ecclesia of God is anointed like David was. They have been shepherding the flock and building a history in God. I feel like in the early stages, you know, there was a lot of prophetic words and counsel, and even from my heart to you guys, that this is a time, this is a season where we go deep in God. That never changes, by the way. We're going deep in God. We're searching our heart. You know, we can call it shelter in place. You can call it whatever. But I think there's a parallel between where David was and where we are currently. And, and we were in this place where we were examining our hearts. We were look, open up the scriptures. We were praying. We were, in a lot of ways, wrestling with God and in some ways just resting and, and just kind of letting his love go over us and asking questions like, Lord, if there's any wicked way in us, please remove it. Like, search our hearts, Lord. And uh, I feel like the, the church has, in a lot of ways, has um, come to the Lord. And in a lot of ways, the church has slayed the lion. And has slayed. I'm very hopeful about the church. I'm never, I'm, I'm rarely critical. They're, they're God's people. They're God's kids. They're God's sons and daughters. They're the bride. They're, don't underestimate the church. Uh, I mean, the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the almighty one. I mean, so, so when people I, tend to be negative on the church, I don't. I feel like it's all part of God's timing and that the Lord will raise people up. So, they slayed the lion, they slayed the bear, and they protected the sheep. And what's more important is that they were receiving and are receiving God's narrative, not Goliath's narrative. Not a political narrative, not an economic narrative, not even a, quote, church narrative, but God's narrative. And I would even say that God is downloading a new paradigm to shepherds. And they are not, and they are now, I believe, they are now on the horizon. And I believe now they're coming on the scene. I, I believe that the Lord is reordering spiritual leadership. They have God's narrative. They have God's plan. They have been... I don't like to say this, but they've been forced out of their buildings. And, and out of all the things that, that we measured in terms of what success is. And they're, they're now looking at themselves, and I believe God's downloading things to them, and I think that you're going to see this, this rise that's gonna be uh, supernatural, prophetic, but powerful enough to slay Goliath. These shepherds will have God's heart and they'll engage the gates. The traditional church as we've known it is lifting up a shout and there's a war cry, but it, it will take the ecclesia to slay Goliath. On a more personal note, the traditional, well, our buildings have been closed. 
been closed now for, for us eight weeks, for some even longer. Our traditional church structures, our traditional church systems have been shaken by the Lord. I would say not just the enemy, that you, you have to be able to see both sides of that same coin. Though this, this is coming at us, we have to believe that the Lord is in it, and we have to be saying to ourselves, Father, what is it in this season that you're teaching your bride, that you're teaching your church? And we have to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. So for some of us, we're, we're uncomfortable. For some of us, we're upset. So many of us want to rush into our old structures or our, the structure of, quote, of having church again. And I'd be the first to tell you, I would love for that to happen, and I can't wait for that to happen. But I don't want to miss the lesson. I'm for it but I'm listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. Here's the thing, and these are the questions that I ask myself and I want to open up my heart and share it with you this morning. Where's my focus? Is it the church or the kingdom? Is it buildings or the gospel? Though I... I can't wait to be together. The, the kingdom has to be my focus. They're playing music behind me, so I, I kind of got a little, ah, I got to hurry up. Globally, the measures of our success are being challenged. It's not attendance, but influence. Not just how many people show up on Sunday, because we don't have that liberty now. The only way we measure people showing up on Sunday is how many views do we have on YouTube, you know, or our video feeds, you know, and maybe the encouragement that comes along our way. But really, the measurements of how we do old, I'll just, I wasn't going to say old-style church, but traditional church, that's been taken away from, from us over the last eight or nine weeks. Now, for us who are part of Convergence, like we've been preaching about this for like three years, three or four years. I, I never would have dreamed in a million years that I would be standing in front of a video camera on a Sunday morning at whatever time it is now, preaching to you because we can't meet. Like, I, I would have told you that would never happen in America. I mean, we have the Constitution. We have... No, we would be meeting. We have all this kind of stuff. And you can, and I can sh shake my fist at the enemy and say, you're doing this. But I'm telling you, God's doing something. And if we would just lean in, if we would just hear what the Spirit of God is saying, if we could just turn down all the political noise and hear what God's saying, then we'll be able to, to hear and understand and move into the next season with power, advancing the kingdom. So here's some of the things I've, I've, I've asked myself. I think the, the Lord asked me this. I don't know if it was me or the Lord. Sometimes it's really clear. Sometimes it's just me thinking, what if we never got back into our buildings? What are you talking about? What if we never got back into our buildings? Now, is that my desire? No. Is that where I see it's going? No. No, We're, we'll be back in our buildings. But it's about perspective. It's about focus. So what if we never got back into our buildings? Will the kingdom of God continue to see increase? Will the gospel continue to go forward? I mean, so many things I want to talk about right there. So what we tell people is, if you, want to, if you want to hear the gospel, come to my Sunday morning service. No, no I, I want to relay a verse to you. 
and I believe this is something that you, you could be praying about. Daniel 7, 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. It's a day where the saints are receiving the kingdom. And they're moving out in God's authority and God's power. And what's happening, though I fully believe in spiritual leadership, I fully believe in pastors, I, I, I fully believe in the fivefold, I, I embrace that. I think it's very scriptural. But it's the day of the saints, too. It's a day when God's people have the responsibility to advance the kingdom. Our buildings don't receive and possess the kingdom. The saints do. Let me conclude verse 23 where David, let me roll up here, David, you know, there's this defiance that Goliath continues to shout. And it says in, at the end of verse 23, and David heard it. Catch this. Without Goliath, David never enters the battle. Goliath actually draws out David's. David is simply asking his brothers how are, they do, how, they, how are they doing in obedience to his father, and he hears Goliath. Friends, that was the tipping point between Israel losing the war and Israel winning the war was that David heard Goliath. I believe what's happening is that in a lot of ways, Goliath has positioned himself where he is. And God is raising up these Davids who are anointed. Because we see in 1 Samuel 16 that Samuel anoints David. That they're, they're anointed I feel like that's the ecclesy of God that God is raising up in our nation. We're trying to figure out how to contend with Goliath, but nonetheless, there are Davids who are hearing. But they don't bring Goliath's narrative. They don't, believe, they don't bring fear onto the battlefield. They don't, believe, they don't bring terror or being terrified or faithlessness on the battlefield. No, they've been tucked away getting God's narrative, simply obeying the Father, going to the battlefield in obedience to the Father, and they're bringing all of that, God's narrative, their time with God, slaying the bear, slaying the lion in that shepherd's field, they're by themselves, they're not known, they're not whatever, they're not any of those kinds of things, and they get to the battlefield and they hear Goliath with God's narrative. Completely different than what we see in verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled in great fear. The fear of man always keeps us from revival. Always. Always has, always will. And there's a stark contrast between David hearing Goliath and Israel hearing Goliath. So next week, I want to finish the story. Next week, we're going to finish the story. 
And we're going to talk about what it means today. But for now, we need to ask ourselves some questions. And here's where I want to close. And again, I'm asking myself these very same questions. What is God doing? What's God's narrative in all of this? And do I have his narrative? Do I know what he is saying? Am I going to have embedded within me the political narrative or the economic narrative or I'll I'll even say the church narrative? I want to hear what God's saying. I think you want to hear what God's saying. And there's a fight to, quote, open up the churches. And I know of, I don't know if the number is accurate, but I I just know that maybe 2,000 churches are going to open up in California on May 31st. Across all different kinds of counties. And I understand the argument. And I think a lot of them, I love them. I think I wish them God's best and I bless and I'm trying to navigate all that myself. Like where do we stand and all that? But, but here's the thing, no matter what is thrown at us, we have to believe that this kingdom will be preached. No matter, no matter how much you try and shut the doors, the kingdom are, is expanding. No matter what kind of persecution you may or someone may bring on us, doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is advancing. So whether it's political or whether it's economic or whether it's voting or whatever, whatever it is, or it's just care or it's health or whatever it is that we're, we're not deemed as essential, doesn't matter. I know we're essential. You don't have to open a door or close a door to recognize how essential his church is. And the question for us this morning as we wrap things up is that are we allowing our church doors to be closed and them being closed prevents us from advancing the kingdom? Never. Never. This is what we're learning. I believe we had that time of shelter in place and God searched our hearts. But I believe it's time to be bold. I think it's time to to be a witness. I think it's time to bring the kingdom. Never to ignore going deep with God. We We don't leave one to go to another. We don't do it. We stay here, we stay anchored here and we move out. And I'm, I, am, I am so excited about what God has for his church in the future. I am. I am so excited. Why? Because we're releasing the saints of God into the ministry of God. Because in so many ways the buildings have been closed. And we have these old paradigms that are breaking. And now we're actually moving to what Jesus said we are in Matthew 16, 18. And the gates of Hades will not prevail. And Goliath is just one big gate. He's given you and me authority. So next week, we're going to continue this narrative. I can't wait. And hopefully, we'll have a little bit of strategy. But I know God is with you. Just, he's with you. Trust him. But not only that, I'm believing for God divine appointments. I am believing that God will set you up, bring people who don't know Jesus to you. I'm praying for power encounters. I'm praying out of a simple heart filled with love and wanting to serve people that we will advance the kingdom. I I pray that the seeds that people have sown in people's lives will come to you. And all you have to do is just be bold enough to say, hey, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you given your heart to the Lord? 
Now's the time. People are looking for hope, but hope is a person. Hope is not something we... Hope is connected to Jesus. So bring hope, but bring the person of Jesus who's actually the author and finisher of our faith, and he is our hope. And maybe you're viewing right now and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. Take the leadership reins of my life. I invite you in. Just ask him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Every one of them. He'll he'll take care of all of them. And then invite him into your heart. Say, Jesus, right now. I'm not perfect. I've done a lot of, I made a lot of messes. Doesn't matter. If you ask him, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We can believe the Lord for that. Father, I thank you as we wrap this up. We just want to grab a hold of your narrative. We've been in this place now for eight, nine, ten, whatever weeks it is that we've been in this place. God, I pray now that, that the ecclesia would sovereignly rise to this place of moving out as you direct us, being obedient to you. And Lord God, I pray that you would expand your kingdom regardless of whether the doors of the church are open or closed. Doesn't matter. Lord, you have anointed every single person that's viewing this service right now. And I just want to declare over you, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the same Spirit that lives in me lives in you. It's God's spirit. So I pray confidence would rise, hope would rise, and this trust in God would come. And if each one does his part, we are really believing for a revival in the Silicon Valley. Do you, let me just give you a revelation. Do you know that God doesn't need the church doors open in order to bring revival? Do you know that? And you catch my heart. I want the church doors open. I, I want us to gather. I really do. I just want to go deeper. He's the all-powerful, almighty God who loves people. For God so loved the world. Thanks again for listening. For more messages just like this, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. God bless.